listening to audio from Plank Grove Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankgroveharvest.org. Last week we were talking about what it meant to be close to God. We talked about that picture of Mount Sinai and how Moses was on top of Mount Sinai and he was close to God. But the people, they were afraid of God and they wanted some space. So they moved back away from God and they said, Moses, you just tell us what God has to say. And that way there we got an excuse, you know, if, if, uh, if we don't want to do that. So what we're trying to do here is trying to help you guys understand what it means to be in the presence of God. That's a beautiful song there. That we just sang, and um, thank you, Jed and, and Sarah, for doing such a nice job on that. And um, they don't realize it because you can't hear that good up here singing that way. But sitting right here and some, hearing some of these young people sing, I could hear you, Grace. Um, hearing these young people sing, it was, it was really pretty. It was really very nice, very nice. Um, one thing I, I was going to say is I know it's warm and the fans running. we got some noise going, and, uh, and it's hot. But if you can tough it out, 35, 40 minutes, just tough it out. Be tough. And the only thing I know is that if we were in Florida right now, we would be sitting on the beach, the sun would be boiling us out there, and we'd take it. But in here, we're like, man, it's hot. I can't stay here for 40 minutes. <laughs> so it's all about perspective. All about perspective. I was in the great city or country of Peru, and we went to this kind of one jungly kind of town. And it, they hadn't had rain in a while. It was real super dusty, and it was roasting. And the, the lone gringo there was dying. And the Peruvian people aren't even sweating. That's what drove me crazy. I'm like, aren't you hot? And all day long I was like kind of praying for nightfall because I knew it would be cooler at night than it was during the day, and I was mistaken in that. All that happened was the sun went down and the breeze stopped. So now it was like extra humid and extra hot. And the preacher was like, well, man, we better close this window because dust from the street is getting in here. It was like a little one-room thing. Probably the whole room was maybe as big as the section of one side of these chairs. Maybe not that big. Maybe half this side to where Pastor, or, uh, Dr. Mark Lee is sitting there. And so it was real small. And we were packed in there. There's probably 20 in there. And I'm telling you, the water was just running out of me. I had my arm up on the thing. And it was just dripping off. And this uh, Peruvian person came up to me, a little kid. He goes, are you okay? Are you going to die? I've never, you know, never seen people sweat like that before. Like, no, this is what we do when we come here, man. That's, that's love right there. So we got to tough it out for a few minutes, but um, I've, I've, I promise you it's cooler this week than it was last week. It seems like it is. Anyway, I'll try to go faster. Talking about the presence of God, one thing I've known, one thing that I've seen recently in my life is in the last probably the last two, say, three years, I got to know two different men that were particularly close to God's presence. And when you see that, you want more of that. One of them's Pastor Tony, so you guys should know him. And I'll tell you something top secret about Pastor Tony. If you want to know what he knows about getting in God's presence, he's a very generous man, and he'd be glad to tell you. And I'll tell you two tricks if you want him to maybe spend some time with you and teach you or just a, an hour here and there. Uh, he's, if you talk to Tony, he'll tell you. And I know he's not been here a while. He's dealing with his wife. She's in, uh, they're going to the Mayo Clinic and wherever that's at, Minnesota, Chicago, up there somewhere. And so, I mean, if you want to be in prayer for them, she's got some, some bad uh, problems going on with that cancer that she's had in her breast and 
different aspects with her arm there. So they're trying to get some, some curing going on there. But one thing I'll tell you about him, he'll tell you himself, I'm not a good preacher. I don't, he is a preacher. He has been a pastor. He's a great pastor. There's a difference. As far as a speaker, he'll tell you, he's probably a C. As far as a shepherd, he's an A++. He's a loving man, a kind man, and he is close to God. And so uh, three years ago or so, I asked him if he would start meeting with me and, um, you know, just teaching me what he knows. So we met one-on-one quite a few times. And what I was going to tell you there, I got sidetracked, sorry, was that if you want to meet with him one-on-one, he will be glad to do so. He'll meet you either through email or he'll meet you in person, and here's the way to do it. Number one, ask him. Say, Pastor Tony, I would really like to spend some time with you. Could you just a couple times, and he would be glad. He'll come to where you work. He'll come, and this is the key right here, food. Number two, food. Particularly dessert. You break out dessert, and that guy is there. That is a sweet-eating fella right there. So you break out some pie, cake, ice cream, or whatever. Mix it up. He'll be there. And I'm telling you, he'll tell you more about how the Holy Spirit works. He will help you learn to pray at a deeper level. He'll help you learn to read the Bible at a different level, at a deeper level. One thing that he did in order to get, he didn't just wake up one day and he was that kind of guy, let me tell you. Um, Pastor Tony, if you know this or not, uh, when he was a young man, um, he came from a really rough family. It's hard to know now because he's in his 70s and he's had a lifetime of growing with God. But when he was a young man, he had a problem with drugs and alcohol. He was a, a bad alcoholic. And uh, through the witness of a neighbor lady, he was led to Christ. He was, this is, blows me away. He was known for fighting and getting in trouble uh, with the law, getting arrested. And to know him now, you would never believe that. But he has got some, he's got a checkered past. And, um, but when God got a hold of him and changed his viewpoint and changed his focus, it, it changed him to such a point that if he heard that there was a movement of God somewhere, he would pack up his stuff and go there. He went to Russia one time. He heard of a, a revival-type situation going on in Russia, and he just got him some plane tickets, him and his wife, and they went to Russia, and they stayed, I don't know, at least a month, if not a couple months, and they got to see the hand of God working there. They saw many people come to Christ. They saw people being healed, and they saw God working. And then another thing that uh, in Argentina, he went down there one time, and they saw a movement of God there that's still going on today, maybe not to the same extent as it was when he first went down there. Well, I think that was in the maybe late 80s, early 90s he went down there. And they, they stayed a while. They stayed a couple months. He just dropped what he was doing, and he went there because he wanted to be close to where God's presence was. That's what we talked about last week. How can I get closer to God's presence? Is that, is that what you want? Does anybody want to be closer to God's presence? It's what we want. But we let stuff get in the way between us and God's presence. He also went to some different revivals and stuff. I'm telling you, he's had some lifetime experiences that would, uh, some of them will make you laugh. Some of them make you kind of like scratch your head, you know, is that really possible? But uh, all I can do is he's proven himself to be a truthful man to me, and he'll be honest with you. And uh, he's not a judgmental man, but he can really help you see God in a new light. He's helped me greatly. Another one is Pastor Elias. And uh, watching him do very similar things to what Tony has done, without the financial resources, and with very few books outside of the Bible. Pastor Elias, who came here, he's going to come back. He's the pastor from Peru. Watching him work with people, shepherd people, show love to people, 
the love he has for God's word, the time he spends in prayer, he spends a, about two hours a day in prayer um, every day. And, uh, but the fruit of his life that's come from the effort he's put in to get close to God, that's, that's the measure of the believer right there. That's how we measure. That's how we know. That's how the Bible tells us we know. Is this person a Christian or not? We know by their fruit. So when we see them being fruity and fruitful, we see people coming to Christ through them. We see them growing spiritually. We see, them, we see other people possibly being healed through their hands being laid on them. Uh, we see a, a closeness with God. I mean, when, when you, all you people that, everybody met Tony before? Everybody know who I'm talking about? Maybe a couple people don't. But when you meet him, you just know that he's a special person. You know, because he's close to God. And then when you meet that guy that's close to God, you want to get over there and be close to him. Maybe some of that will rub off on you, fall on you, right? You know, that happened in the Old Testament, by the way. The Ark of the Covenant ended up in a, a man's field because the Philistines were getting hammered when they had the Ark of the Covenant in their possession. They finally just hauled it across into Israel and dropped it off in this guy's field. King David attempted to move it, but he moved it in the improper way, and one of his men died because of it. So it just sat in this guy's barn, essentially, and that guy was blessed greatly because he was close to God's presence. He may not even been that sharp of a believer, but he was close to the presence of God, and all of a sudden his flock started growing, and his grass was growing taller than everybody else, and he got timely rain, and he was just blessed. And when the other Israelites saw how he was blessed, they were like, man, we're moving that thing back to downtown. We want some of that blessing too, you know. And so uh, that's what happens. So when you see a man that's being blessed by God, you see a man that's close to God, go get by him. Allow him to teach you so that you can be in that presence as well. I'm jealous, man. I'm greedy. I want God's blessings. I don't want just old Strong over there getting his blessings. I want some too. I don't want just Pastor Elias getting it. I don't just want Pastor Tony getting it. I want it too. Anyway, we're going to spend eternity with him. I advise you to learn who he is. All right, page two. No, not all the pages will be that long, I promise. One thing I'm going to talk about today is we're going to talk about how sin gets between us and God's presence. And I know that everybody here, as soon as I start talking about sin, they're ready to go eat lunch or go away. I got it. But I'm going to tell you that this right here is probably one of the key things that gets between us and God's presence. It keeps us from hearing God's voice when we have that pervasive sin in our life that we just cannot get rid of. It keeps us from hearing God's voice. We can get rid of it. We just choose to hold on to it. But I want to tell you that when I'm talking about these things, I know you think that I was reading your mail or I was looking in your windows or I was listening to your phone calls. Listen, we all struggle with the same stuff. I know you got stuff going on in your life that you hope nobody ever finds out about. I got stuff in my life I pray you never find out about. We're all sinners, okay? I'm coming from that viewpoint. I'm not judging you. I don't even want to know what kind of sin you got going on in your life. I got all enough of my own. I don't need yours. You keep yours, I'll keep mine. But just know, God's talking to you from his word today. It's not me judging you, okay? All right. One thing that, uh, that I wanted to mention, so Tony went to Russia and he went to Argentina and he went to some other places that had revivals. And the thing that happened pretty, pretty right off the bat 
and I know of a situation that's going on here in Cumberland County, very similar. These people would start to accept Christ, start to come to Christ, and they were new, growing believers. And it wasn't long before some person would crop up in their midst, and he would do everything in his power to jam a wedge or confuse them about what God really said or what God really meant when he said, or were they really saved? Or do you really know what you're, you know, do you know what you're talking about when you're talking about God? I mean, are you following the whole law? Are you doing what the law says you're supposed to do? And so it left people in confusion. And so what I want to tell you today is how you can, despite those people that are going to come into your, into your life, they're going to come in there, they're going to try to tempt you away from God, they're going to kind of trick you into that thinking, did God really say? It happened all the way back there in Genesis. It still happens today. Did God really say? And they want you to question what you know to be true about God. But I want you to understand today how you can know that you can be saved, that you can be cleansed from sin, that you can be closer to God despite your sinful nature, okay? Let's go back over there to 1 John. All right. Anybody read 1 John last week? Oh, man. That was your assignment. All right. Oh, we got two people. That's good. You can have dessert first because you, you read First John. That's good. All right, here we go. First John, let's read just the first part right there and see what it has to say. First John 1, 1 through 7. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard we declare to you that you may also have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. The reason we got this book is so that your joy may be full. It doesn't say your happiness. It says your joy. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I want to stop right there before we go to the old tried and true 1 John 1, 9. But it says, if we walk in the light as he, as Christ is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. One of the things, and I started, I told you that already, one of the things we have to deal with if we want to be closer to God is we have to deal with that aspect of personal sin in our life. When you are saved, the moment you're saved, you are separated from everything you ever did up to that point. I want you to go, this is, this is talking about from that day forward. Okay, that's what we're talking about today. I want you to go to Deuteronomy 23, 9 through 14. This is a crazy, a crazy thing, but I want you to, to understand something about God. Deuteronomy 23, 9. We're going to start at verse, well, let's start at verse 10. If there is a man among you who becomes unclean by some occurrence in the night, then he shall go outside the camp. He shall not come inside the camp. But it shall be when evening comes that he shall wash with water, and when the sun sets, he may come into the camp. 
Also, you, may, you shall have a place outside the camp where you may go out, and you shall have an implement amongst your equipment, and when you sit down outside, you shall dig with it and turn and cover your refuse. For the Lord your God walks in the midst of your camp to deliver you and give your enemies over to you. Therefore, your camp shall be holy, that he may see no unclean thing among you and turn away from you. Now, I know you're thinking, what kind of guy brings up bathroom things in church? But I'm telling you, this is a lot bigger picture than you're recognizing if you see it as that. The fact of the matter is, there's millions of people here in this one group, right? And they can't just be going anywhere they want to go. That's the first thing. And I will say that the Jews were one of the least effective people affected during the Black Plague era back in the 12, 1400s, whenever that was, 1300s, because they had these cleanliness standards in place. They were big on washing. They were big on covering up their refuse. They were big on doing that away from where they lived, where a lot of Europe was not. They just ran it out on the streets and that kind of thing, kind of like Peru today. They still do that in Peru and parts of Peru today, open ditches and that kind of thing. But that's not the point. The point of this is that God does not get your sin on him. God, it, the Bible says that it's not what goes into the man that defiles the man, but what comes out of the man. It's talking about what comes out of his mouth, but it's talking about both ends too. That's what's defiling. And God is not going to get your defilement on him. He says that you are to be perfect like he is perfect. He's not going to let your sin get on him. If you want God in your camp, if you want Christ in your home, if you want to be closer to God, then you've got to get rid of the stuff that is defiling you. He does not hang out with defilement. That's not where he is. That's not where he goes. I wrote down some scriptures here. I'm just going to read them off to you because we probably don't have time to look them all up, but God is perfect and will not allow imperfection in his presence. Deuteronomy 18, 13, thou shalt be perfect with the Lord thy God. He was talking about the sacrifices and doing them perfectly. That means that you don't get to come to church and worship the way you want to worship. You're going to go to God's word and you're going to figure out how does he want me to worship him and then I'm going to worship him that way because he makes the rules because he's perfect. He made us. He makes the rules. He says, this is how I want you to worship. Okay, I'm going to worship that way. Thou shalt be perfect with the Lord thy God. 1 Corinthians 28, verse 9. Serve him with a perfect heart. Deuteronomy 32, verse 4. His work is perfect. Matthew 5, verse 48. Be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. 2 Samuel 22, 31. His way is perfect. Jesus mentioned that no man can look upon God and live. We can't even... We can't look at his perfection, and Jesus also said, no one comes to the Father but through me. You can't get near God if you're not perfect. Anybody perfect? I'm not perfect. What kind of perfection is he talking about? He's talking about this washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit is what he's talking about. He's talking about this cleanliness that comes from confessing your sin. Outside of that, there is no perfection. When Jesus stands in front of the Father as the mediator between you and him, that's the only way you're perfect. If he's not standing there, you know, if someone's standing between me and, uh, I forgot, your, <laughs> I forgot her name, little Miss Lee, I forgot your name, I'm sorry. <laughs> but if someone's standing, and I can't see her, 
I don't know what she's got on her. That's what's going on. Christ is like this, this piece of glass that's got your outline cut out in it. And when you look through it, when God looks through it, all he sees is Christ on you. Otherwise, you can't be there. God will not be defiled by man's sin. That defilement talked about in Deuteronomy is talking about the natural man. It's not just talking because it mentioned a man who had an occurrence during the night. We don't know what the occurrence was. could have been anything. could have been sick to his stomach. could have been nauseated. We don't know. He had to go outside to deal with it. He could have just had a boil. If they had any flaw like that, they had to go outside the camp because they did not want the ground, the holy ground inside their camp to be defiled by their sin. Because God says, if you've got defilement there, I'm not coming there. If we want God to get, if we want to be close to God, if we want to be close to Christ, then we've got to deal with that stuff that's defiling us. Go back there to 1 John 1, 4. It says, and these things we write to you, I'm telling you this today so that your joy may be full. Do you want to be full of joy? Full of joy is not separation from God. It's closeness to God. That's where the fullness of joy comes from. It's spelled out really simply. Verse, uh, verse 6 there, if we say that we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. When we, when we accept Christ as our Savior, the, the idea of repentance where we turn from what we were and we go a new direction, that's what repentance means. Here's what I was, now I'm turning. That's where I'm going now. I've completely turned around, going a new direction. When we do that, if we're, if we're trapped by the same sin, if the same things are bearing down on us that was bearing down on us before we accepted Christ, do we need to check ourselves and see? Do we have something that's bigger than Christ in our life that keeps us from, from focusing on him? Is there some other thing? If it's whatever it is. I don't, I don't even know what it is. If it's alcohol, if it's drugs, if it's pornography, or if it's, you know, whatever, lust for other women, what it, whatever it is that's bigger than Christ in your life, then the Bible says to check yourself. Because we know we have sin. But he says to walk in the light as he is in the light we got to start walking a new way. we got to get rid of the defilement that's in front of us, and we have to go to verse 8, 9, and 10 right here. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. I recognize, Lord, that I am a sinful man. Isaiah, the most righteous man alive at that time, when he comes before God and he sees the throne room, he says, I'm undone, I'm unclean. And he falls down on his face, and he was clean as by man's standards, but by God's standard, he was filthy and he recognized it. It says that they took a coal from the throne and touched his tongue, and then he was allowed to, to speak in God's presence. We have to recognize, first of all, that we are sinners and that we're full of sin, and that outside of Christ, we have no hope. And when we recognize that, we're that much closer to God already. You're already moving closer. So if you've accepted Christ in your life as your Savior, you're closer to God than you were before. we got this young couple up here. They're going to be married in a couple weeks. They're closer to God right now than they were a month ago. They've accepted Christ in their life. They're new creations, the Bible says, and they are now closer to God than they were before. 
And now through the study of God's word, they can become closer still. As they work to eliminate these things that are tripping hazards in their life, they become closer still. As they become closer to one another, as they focus on Jesus Christ in their marriage, and they focus on God's word in their life, they become closer still. And over time, we become Tony. We don't become Tony in a week. We become Tony in 50 years. That's a lifetime of following Christ. It seems a little depressing when you're 25 and you're looking at 75-year-old guy and you're going, man, 50 years to be that. But don't you want to be that? Any professional athlete, you know, he spent his whole life to become that. Nothing good comes easy. That's just how it is. One thing that happened to me, it was a really interesting experience for me, was... Uh, we, the, I think it was my first, I know it was, it was my first trip to Peru, and we went actually a different place. It was up in the mountains. And this lady came, and she, she said that, um, she said, I would love to be saved, but I can't be saved. And I said, why can't you be saved? Through an interpreter. So why can't you be saved? She goes, because I've had three abortions. And I said, I didn't understand that in Spanish, she was talking about miscarriages, same word, just a nuanced thing. Abortion is technically illegal there. They're very Catholic in their society. And, uh, but she was talking about having three miscarriages. Through no fault of her own, she had had three miscarriages. And she said, I cannot be forgiven for those things. And I said, well, the Bible says that if you confess your sins, I was thinking abortions, like we would talk about it here. I was like, it's, the Bible says that if we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And she said, the Bible doesn't say that. I said, yeah, it does. So I whipped out my Spanish-English Bible and pointed it out to her, 1 John 1, 9. And she saw that, and she just started crying because she had hope. Because the Bible says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful, he is just, and he will cleanse us, not just from that, but from all unrighteousness, every unrighteous act. And I do unrighteous acts every day. If you don't believe me, ask my kids. Ask my dog. Ask my wife. They'll tell you. I do unrighteous things. I say unrighteous things. But God is faithful and just to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. He's willing to cleanse me. He's willing to cleanse me over and over and over. In the tabernacle setup that the Jews had, one of the first things you run into is this big giant laver. They called it a laver. It's just a big pool, a big pan of water. And it was all about hygiene. They used it to wash their hands. They had different things they were washing in there. They washed animals in it. Surely they changed the water. But they did wash their hands. They washed their bodies. It was about being clean when they presented themselves before the Lord. They were going to go and be close to the Lord in that inner part of the tabernacle. It was kind of segmented. And it took a while to get to the innermost part. It took some washing. It took some sacrifices. It took some incense burning and some special bread and some different things. And, but by the time you got there, you were clean and you were prepared to worship the Lord. When you were outside of that, you were dirty. So you had to go to this process to get to the Lord. We, we have a new and better way, I say, when the Bible says we can come boldly before the throne of grace just like you are. I don't have to go wash my hands first. I can just come. I don't have to wash my whole body first. I can just come. I don't have to go outside of this building 
a certain distance away and clean myself, I can just come. And that is a blessing you don't even know. One reason that a lot of the Jews fell away was because of the hardship of following all these rules and regulations to get close to God. But they did it to themselves at Mount Sinai. God gave them the option at Mount Sinai to be up there on the mountain with him and Moses, and they chose to put themselves at a distance. So you have the option. I can make it hard on myself, or I can make it easy on myself. I can come boldly to the throne of grace, or I can stand at a distance and, you know, try to get God's attention over here, you know. Get down in some, the Bible calls it the miry clay. Get down in a pit. Get down in that perpetual sin that just keeps me down, and I just got to... My wife said it one time, I just got to flop around in the mud for a while. And then when I get done flopping in the mud, I can reach my hand up and then, and then God comes out and he pulls me back up, sprays me off. He cleanses me from all unrighteousness and I start over. I got one other one about another lady and this was in Lago and she came up to us and it was beautiful. The, the humility of it was beautiful. And she came up and... Uh, it was, it was night. I wanted to take a picture of her, but it was already dark, and they didn't have electricity there. But she came up, and she said, um, I heard what you guys said. I heard what Pastor Elias said. I heard that, that uh, we can be saved. She goes, but she basically said the same thing the lady with the uh, miscarriage just said, is that, I mean, I, you know, I can't be cleaned. And I told her the exact same verse. I said, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and does to forgive us our sins, cleanses from all unrighteousness. And she said, does it say that in the Bible? I said, yes, it does. I'm blown away that people don't know the simplicity of the forgiveness of sin that's offered to us. And it's offered over and over. And when she said that, I was just like, yeah, let me get my Spanish-English Bible out. Got it right there. If you want to look it up, it's in there too. It's just like it's in the English one. It's in both. And I pointed it out, and she read it, and she said, I'm ready to be saved. The only thing that she could not wrap her mind around was the fact that you could be saved and God could cleanse you from all unrighteousness. It's that simple. It's not simple in that Christ gave his life, and it was, it was a plan made in eternity, in eternity past way back then, and God made this plan to save us and rescue us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's not simple in that, but it's simple in our acceptance of it. All it takes is that commitment from us to accept his sacrifice for us. Turn my page here. So you've been saved. You've been cleansed of all that stuff that you've done in the past. So now you're never going to sin again, right? It seems to me that right after a person gets saved, it's like the temptation to sin is greater than it was before you were saved. It's like harder. But I think what that is is the Holy Spirit, you might call it your conscience, but I believe it's your Holy Spirit drawing to attention that fact that you are unclean and that you got some stuff you got to fix because you want to stay in God's presence. Remember last week I talked about relationship and fellowship and how we're in relationship with Christ now. We've accepted Christ, and now we're one of his sons or daughters. But that fellowship can change. As I get sin in my life or I have, I, I have uh, you know, different things going on in my life, 
I get separation between me and God, just like we talked about last week, just like your kids do where they sneak off in another room. They want to get distance from you because they feel unclean. They know what they're doing is wrong, and they got to go somewhere far from you because they know that in your presence you're going to call them on it. And that's what God does. And God comes and he searches us out. Let's see, I wrote down a verse here, and it's, it's a good one. But now that we're adopted in, I want you to know that you are blood-purchased. You are, you are the same as a son or a daughter that was born naturally. When you're adopted in, you're exactly that same relationship. And the Bible says that no one, once you're there, no one can snatch you out of my Father's hand. It's in John 10. And this is one of those go-to verses, people. As time goes on, temptations are going to occur, things are going to come on you, and you're going to be depressed, and the devil's going to come in and be whispering to you, hey, did you really get saved? Hey, does God really know you? Are you really his? And your friends are going to come over and go, man, that, you know, that religion, that's a bunch of junk for weak-willed people and, and women. And hey, they've been telling men that for thousands of years, that it's for the weak-spirited and the, and the, the wimpy. But I'm going to tell you, the Bible says in John 10, 27 through 30, this is Christ speaking, and he's speaking to you today. Think about this verse. I'll tell you what, if you've got a Bible and it's your own Bible, take a pen right now and underline this verse. It's uh, John 10, 27 through 30. Maybe write it in the back of your Bible so that you can remember when these days come. And you can say, oh yeah, man, there's a verse that God tells me that I'm his and I'm always his and, I, and he will not let me go. It says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. You're going to die physically. You're not going to die and fall into the fiery pit. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Are you a someone? If you're a someone or a no one or an anyone, you cannot snatch yourself out of your father's hand. You can't be saved and then, you know, ask for a mulligan later and say, God, I've changed my mind. I would prefer to go it on my own. He's like, no, you're there. I got you. You're in my hand. Just like a, a little kid can't unlock dad's grip when you're walking across the Walmart parking lot and he's trying to pull away and you got him clamped down. That's how God's got you. You ain't getting away. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one can snatch them out of my father's hand. So you're in his hand and his father's hand's over his hand. You're in there. I and my father are one. Underline that, man, 27 through 30, because I'm telling you the day's going to come and you're going you're to have those thoughts and you're going to be like, man, I either fell out of his hand or God doesn't hear me or I'm all alone, I'm depressed, I'm sad, I'm, I just, God must not care. And he says, he goes, go to my word and figure out if I care because I adopted you in and I sacrificed my son for you and the blood, the Bible says, surely the blood of God himself was shed on the cross that day for you. God's own blood was shed on the cross for you. That's caring. I want you to look at 1 John. Uh, so we talked about 1 John 1, 9. I want you to look at 1 John 2 now. My little children, these things I write to you, he's a loving man, John is. 
He cares about his children. He's like Pastor Tony in that he's a shepherd, a caring man. And he's telling them this so that they won't go astray. He says, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. I'm warning you. I'm telling you. Do your best. Do not sin. Keep your focus on Christ. And if anyone sins, well, he just said don't sin. But he knows that you're a fallen natural person. And he says, if anyone sins... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Let me tell you something. Miss Holly Lee is an attorney, right? She's basically the same word as this word right here, advocate. But there's something more going on here. The attorney, the attorney or the advocate, they go and they stand before the judge. And because you don't speak the language that the judge speaks, you don't speak Latin, and that's just not how you think, and you don't know all the, the, the nooks and crannies and the things that'll get you off and the things that'll get you in the jug, you don't know, but the attorney does. And so that's why we allow the attorney to speak on our behalf. But the advocate that we're talking about here has way more power than an attorney does. I promise you, if you do something bad enough, well, used to be, if you do something bad enough, Despite how much money you have, you're going to jail. The only thing that the attorney can help you do is maybe go to jail for less time or maybe keep you from getting lynched. But Jesus has way more power than that as the advocate, as the attorney, as the go-between us and God. Because for one thing, he's God's son. He's the son of the judge. So that when he stands before the judge, he's got the, he's got the inside track there. He's got the family discount. And he says, I was there, remember that? God's like, see you over there, son. I see you. I know what you're doing. I see that guy, and I see what you're doing. And then the second reason is him and God together at the beginning of time came up with the plan that rescues you. So it's kind of like where they go into court beforehand, before you go in there, and they go in the judge's chambers, and they make up a plan so you don't have to do no time. That's what he's doing. But he did it before time began because he knew before time began that you were guilty. And you know what? You know you're guilty. The Bible says right here, if we say that we have no sin, we, we lie to ourselves, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. You're guilty. I'm guilty. You're guilty. God knows you're guilty. Everybody knows you're guilty. Everybody in the room knows you're guilty. I want to show you there Romans 3, 10 through 18. says, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. Their tongues, they, with their tongues, they practice deceit, and on and on. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's us. You can read that. That's us. We're running, we're running on empty. We're full of sin. Recognize that about yourself and put yourself humbly at the feet of Jesus. That's a good place to start. So basically the, the courtroom drama that plays out when we're on that day and we're standing before God and we know we're guilty and God knows we're guilty and Jesus knows we're guilty, but we've accepted Jesus as our Messiah, it goes something like this. Uh, that's the next guilty man right there? Uh, yes. Yes, this is him. Dale Brown. Here. He says, uh, did you believe that Jesus died for you? Yes. That he was resurrected on the third day? Yes. You're free to go. Next. 
Listen, without that, it goes way differently. It goes, is that the man uh, that just died right there? And Jesus says, yes. Did he ever confess your name? And then it's the man's turn to talk. And he says, well, no, I didn't. But one time I helped an old lady across the road, and another time I rescued a bunch of kittens, and another time God's like, that's great. Enjoy uh, the kittens there in the fiery pit forever. Because if you didn't accept my son, you have no welcome in my presence because you have defilement on you. I can't look at you. You cannot be in my heavens because you are defiled. So as a fresh new believer, I can still make mistakes. Well, I, I got to read this to you because I, I read it this morning and I thought, man, that's the thing. Because when we're forgiven, we're 100% forgiven. And I wanted to show it to you here in Romans real quick. Romans 4, 7, and 8. It comes right after Romans 3 where he just tells us that we're all dirty, rotten, no good so-and-sos. And then we look at 4, 7, and 8, and it says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Thank God. Because the Bible also says that if the Lord was to keep the record of sin, who could stand before him? Not me. Because I know what I am. And the Bible says in Romans 6, verse 7, it says, um, it says, for he who has died has been freed from sin. He's talking about uh, that aspect of being baptized. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism unto death. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. That's who he's talking about. You died, you were baptized, you were raised up again, newness of life. You have died to that sinful man, and you're now free from sin. Doesn't say you're not going to sin. Says you're freed from sin. You're sin. You're freed from the cost that you have to pay for the sin. You couldn't afford it. No amount of money can afford it. So I told you all that stuff. I want to be free. I want you to be free. I want you to stay free. And I hope you want to be free. And that's one of those decisions you got to make for yourself. Am I sick and tired of being right here? Because if you are. He gives you an out right here in 1 John. He says, confess your sin. He says, we have an advocate. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. And he himself is the propitiation. He is the guy that died in your place. He is the God-man. He died in your place. He wasn't just a guy. That was, that was uh, shameful. I used that word. He was God. And he died in your, in your place. Not just for yours, but for everyone's. Now, by this, we know that we know him. Okay, here we go. So I've decided. How's that song? I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. I'm following him. And I sin. And I confess my sin. And I keep following Jesus. And somehow, this one thing, it's just hanging on me like a little, little chihuahua when you go in the guy's house and he grabs on your pants and you can't shake him off. You can't get rid of this thing. And so, here's how we're going to shake it right here. We're going to talk about not sinning. Now, by this we know, this is how I know that I know him, if we keep his commandments. Well, I thought, I thought the New Testament was all about grace, and we didn't have to keep commandments. Well, the Bible tells me right here that if I'm doing what Christ tells me to do, then I know that I'm following him, and Jesus Christ told me that he's not going to eliminate any aspect of the law, that that law was there to show me my sinfulness, Therefore, I need to know what the law says. I need to quit sinning. I need to quit stealing. I need to quit taking the Lord's name lightly. 
I need to honor him one day a week. I need to quit looking at other women with lust in my eyes. I need to quit wanting what other people have. I need to do those things because he tells me that if I love him, I will keep his commandments. He who says I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfect in him. By this we know that we are in him. Well, I want to know that I'm in him and this is how I can know. I want to do his will. Just like your children, particularly when they're little, when they're older, maybe they, they quit caring. But when they're little, they show you that they love you by doing what you tell them to do. They really do. And then they come up and say, hey, Dad, did I do a good job? Yeah, you did, son. Way to stay out of the traffic. You know, <laughs> way to come when I called you. Way to quit hitting your sister. Good job, buddy. Appreciate it. You love me, right, Dad? Yeah, I love you. I love you. Well, I'm going to show you that I love you, Daddy, because I'm going to obey you. That's what Christ is asking us to do. That's what the New Testament's telling us to do. And you know what? That's what the Old Testament told us to do. It says, if you love me, you will prove that by keeping my commandments. He broke it down into two simple little things. And here's how we can do it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And you can say, well, I don't really like my neighbor. And he says, I don't care, but you've got to love him. You've got to love him like you love yourself. When you do those things, you're showing your love for God. When you show your love for God, you get closer to God. And that's what we're trying to do. We want to be closer. Lord, I want to know you. And the Lord says, Jesus says, keep my commandments. And you say, how? And I just told you how. And I'll tell you another way is by reading his word. By reading his word, Old Testament and New, we see what we are. And we see what we need to change about ourselves. It's the mirror that reflects us back onto us and shows us. And we really know, especially when we're new believers and we're really starting to grow, we have this starving hunger for the Word, like 1 Peter 2, 2 says, like newborn babies desire the pure milk of the Word. When you're desiring the Word and you're just, man, i got to get some more of that. But in time, as we get a little calloused or things happen in life and we fall away a little bit and we catch ourselves getting away from God, you know, get back on your knees in prayer. Get back in God's Word, and that will freshen and, and get you closer to there. I was going to tell you something uh, about my past. I don't really need to give you too much detail, but I know people have had rougher pasts than me. I'm not, the, I'm not the poster child for terrible childhoods. I know everybody's had issues in the past. We had kind of a rough family. And, uh, and then I went in the Marine Corps, which is not where you go to make you more loving. They don't teach you to love people there. They teach you to do other things. And so between those two things, and then when I got back out, I was living a lifestyle that was my own lifestyle. And because of that, what I did was I created in myself what the Bible calls a stony heart. And what it did was it kind of really limited my ability to love people. And it took a long time to, to get over that stony heart thing. And I was kind of looking up this one sermon. It's really good. Um, Mark, I'll tell you about it. But it's... Uh, Charles Spurgeon, it's one from back in the day, it's called the Stony Heart, if you want to look it up, it's online. But he, he pointed out that the Stony Heart, and he made the reference, the allusion to the stone, a stone being cold, and it's hard, and it's dead, and it's not easily softened, and it's utterly senseless. And as I read that, I'm like, that was me. And you know what it took to soften my heart? It's, it's taken 20-something years of reading God's Word, of getting married, of having kids, and all the way that God works through my life, through our lives, other Christians around me, and 
you know, knowing Tony and knowing Elias and, you know, knowing people with softer hearts than me, knowing Pete and William and, di- and different people that are more tenderhearted than I am and knowing my children because children are naturally tenderhearted when they're born and young. And they, and they soften you. And in time, they enable you to love more. But see, I could have saved myself a whole lot of grief if I'd have started with the heart of flesh the Bible talks about. It's in Ezekiel if you want to look at that. Ezekiel 36, 26, if you want to write that down. And you can go see what he's talking about. God says, I'm going to replace that hard heart in you, that stony heart, and I'm going to replace it with a heart of flesh. See, the heart of flesh feels pain. The heart of stone doesn't feel pain. You just do what satisfies yourself. The heart of flesh has empathy for other people and where they're at. And you know one way... You can get this on your own or God can put it in you and you're not going to like it when God puts it in you. And I was telling Mark this morning that uh, we saw in a pastor how through the death of his brother he had a more empathetic heart towards other people who had a death in the family. Before he didn't have an understanding, but now he does. Now he has compassion on people that have had a death in the family because he knows the pain that it caused to those closest to that person. So anyway, here's a couple other things we can do. We want to seek the Lord while he can still be found. We seek him through his word. We seek him through other believers that are more mature in the word than us. We don't look at that believer and say, I mean, I know Pete, and I know Pete's really mature in the word. And I get to know Pete, and I see that he has some personality quirk. And so I start judging Pete by this personality quirk, and I quit looking at him for his maturity in the word. And when I do that, I'm messing up. Pete is as fallen as you are. But Pete loves God, and he seeks to, seeks to obey his commandments. So I go find Christians that are further along in the Word than I am, and I attach myself to them. Hey, can you teach me something out of God's Word? Can you show me how God has reached you in your life? Can you show me how to raise my kids so that my kids aren't bandits and they're more loving towards God and they're obedient to their parents? Can you show me how I can love my wife more? Can you show me how I can love my neighbor more? Can you show me how I can forgive these people who have injured me in the past and hurt me? That's how we grow. James 4, 7, here's one that we really have to observe, and it's that love of the world. And we're going to basically wrap it up with this. Uh, 1 John 2, 15, do not love the world or the things of the world, for if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it But he who does the will of God abides forever. I want to abide forever. Abide is, here's God. Well, here's God. He's just a small version. And I'm abiding. God moves over there. I go over there. I got to be where God is. I got to separate myself from the world. And this stuff of the world, the the book of James, James 4, 7 says, friendship with the world is enmity with God. That means when you become a friend of the world, when you cannot let go of the stuff of the world, you are making yourself an enemy of God. You're working opposite from how he wants you to work. He wants you to be closer to him. He wants you to be set apart and conform to his image. And when I do what the world tells me is cool, well, then I can accept a lot of things that God tells me is wrong. And that's what we got going on in our country right now. And people are trying to take what the world says is right And saying, well, if God was here today, he would say that it's okay to act this way. And the Bible does not work that way. The Bible says if the world says it's true, it's most likely not true. Obey me. Seek me. 
obey my commandments. Show your love for me by doing what I'm telling you is right. And when you do, you get closer to God. But when you do that, know that some of your friends from the past are going to get some distance from you. It's what they do. You remember, there was a song called Jesus Freak. That's what happens. You become a freak. Because the normal guy is going the way of the world. And I want to go the way of Christ. I can't do both because they're going like this. They're not going parallel. They're going opposite. I do opposite better, but my hands kind of... Okay? They're going two different directions. And listen, the, the Bible says there's only one path that gets to heaven, and it's narrow. And there ain't a lot of traffic on it. So if I see everybody going that way and following something that the world says is correct, man, measure it through God's Word and see what God's Word says. Separate yourself from that. The word holy, be set apart, be different from the world. Okay? You're called a child of God. You, believer in Christ, is a child of God. Not every person, believers. I believe that God loves all mankind. There is no doubt. And he calls all to come to repentance. He calls all to come to Christ. But he only calls his children his children. And you're not his child unless you believe that Jesus died for you. Those are harsh words. People don't want to hear that. But I'm telling you, whether it's harsh or not, it doesn't make it any less true. Okay, get your pen out. Here's your last one I want you to underline for today. This is a good one. You're going to fall back on this one, I'm telling you. I'm telling you all this that I've told you today for this purpose because I want you to come to this conclusion with me. It's 1 John 5, um, 11 through 13. This is one of the most beautiful passages in the Bible because it will give you confidence in God's love for you and his holding you in his hand. The Bible calls his love unfailing. It's more than just... Um, unchanging. It is unchanging. That's true, but it's unfailing. It never changes. It never fails. It, it's never different. It's always the same. And he's got, he's got the, remember the old tire patch, monkey grip? He's got the monkey grip on you. You're not getting out. You're stuck in there. Look at there. First John 5, 11. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son, only in his son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Right here, underline this one double. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know, circle know, you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. That means that at times you're going to forget and you're going to get confused and people are going to say things and you're going to like, maybe God, I, did he really say? I'm, I'm confused. I don't know. I'm scared. And you can go to that verse and you can circle it and it says, oh, this is that time where I'm supposed to continue to believe that I can know that I have eternal life and that life is through Jesus Christ, his son. Let me open the word and remind myself, man, and then the blessing can come back on you. If you didn't hear anything else I told you today, I hope you heard that right there. That belief in Jesus Christ can give you the confidence that no matter what you've done in the past or what you're going to do in the future, that God will not let go of you if you believe in his son, Jesus Christ. If you have unconfessed sin in your life, the Bible says you can do a couple things about it. But the first thing you need to do is confess it to God. And it's as simple as 
Father, I know that I've sinned against you when I did, you name it. When I hit my little sister in anger. When I pushed my brother in the pool after I was told not to. When I disobeyed my parents. When I stole that thing. When I thought that thought. When I acted that way. I know it was a sin against you. Lord, please forgive me. It's that simple. If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I want you to hear that. I want you to hear the fact that Jesus died for you, that all the sins that you've ever committed up to this point in your life were paid for at the cross 2,000 plus years ago, and that you're free today because of it. But you have to accept Christ. Through him and him alone can we come to God's presence in heaven someday. And then the last thing I want you to know is I want you to remember that, 1 John 5, 11 through 13, is that you can know that you know that you know that no one can snatch you out of my Father's hand, okay? So I'm really excited for that for you. If you have any questions on any of those things, if you would like to come up and pray with us now, I would love to have you. You can also, there's a scripture in the Bible that says, confess your sins one to another. So if you, particularly you married couples, guys, if you've got something going on in your life you're not supposed to be looking at on the Internet, Confess it to your wife. Expose it to your wife so your wife can hold you accountable. Wife, if you're looking at stuff on the Internet you're not supposed to be doing, if you're talking to people you're not supposed to be talking to, you know, whatever, relationships outside of the relationship with your husband, tell your husband. Work it out. Husband, wife, show mercy and grace to one another. You're both sinful people. Young people, tell your parents where you're falling into sin, things that are tripping you up. Have them pray for you. Confess it. When you get it out, it gives you that much more power over it. When you try to hide it and disguise it, it gives it power over you. Okay? Getting this sin thing under control will allow us to get closer to God. Next week, we're going to talk about prayer and how that works. And I wish Tony was here to do it, but you're going to get the B string. And in the week after that, we got Brother Dave coming back. We're going to be out there at Lake Tansy. So I'm looking forward to that time together. If you've got time, uh, issues you want to pray about this morning, if you want to talk about sin or you want to talk about salvation or any of those things, please come forward. We'd love to talk to you. Any of those, the people here that have been here any length of time would love to discuss with you how you can know that you can have eternal life. Let's pray.